Oh boy, we're off okay. to a good start. I was just going to say Here start, but I added in good <laughs> because it should be good. That might be an exaggeration, but we can take it. <laughs> you might notice from my voice, it's not as good as it can be. <laughs> oh, I love it. You're like, you sound like a sexy jazz singer. I know. I did this on purpose, actually. The last week <laughs> of complete misery has built up. You're like, I know that we're going to record the podcast and I need to make my life miserable. So I have a beautiful voice. <laughs> you definitely don't need to cough right now when I'm trying to hold it in. <laughs> okay, we better talk before you cough. Then. <laughs> Um, <coughs> too late. <laughs> Hi, I'm Big. And I am slightly sick and running completely on adrenaline because I have a flight to the U.S. in a few hours. But you can call me white. And together we are big and white. <laughs> and you are listening to the Big and White podcast, a podcast where we explore what it means to be a foreigner in Asia. So... What are we talking about? Uh, slightly sick and running on adrenaline, <laughs> but I can call you white. <laughs> this week, I was kind of thinking that since this episode is hopefully going to be posted soon after 2020 comes upon us somehow, we don't know how that happened, but it's coming, but whatever. Okay, we're not freaking out. It's fine. <laughs> End of the decade, baby. Because the new year is coming we know that a lot of people set resolutions, you know, you want to learn new languages and new skills and do all of these new things. So we wanted to talk about what kind of things that you have to learn or relearn more specifically when you move to Nepal. Sound good? Yep. I gotta be honest with you, I feel like this is gonna be a really hard episode for me because <laughs> I've lived in Nepal for far too long and I can't remember how I used to be before I moved there. Yeah. I was just, I thought of it on the bus while I was on survey yeah. and all of the things that I'm like, oh, I'm so good at this. Yeah. I'm like, I bet I didn't know, I didn't used to know how to do this. Absolutely. I know. I was someone asked me because I said, yeah, I feel like I've changed a lot in the last five years. And they were like, how have you changed? I just like couldn't come up with an answer. I'm like, <laughs> well, before I probably sucked more. Now I'm, I'm gooder at some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it doesn't sound very impressive. It's like, well, I can wash my clothes. They're like, I can wash my clothes. Like, no, it's different. It's true, though. I mean, that's like the weird thing is that you have to learn really simple, basic things again. Things that you feel yeah. like, you know, you spent your childhood learning. Now you're an adult. That should be a good default that yeah. you already know how to do. And guess what? <laughs> they do those things differently in other cultures. <laughs> and yeah, we maybe don't think about the process of learning those things necessarily because we come into the country and we're, we know things are going to be different and we're open to that and we're so used to just adapting to this new culture. Oh, I think about them. <laughs> but what I think is really helpful is um on this survey, then we had someone new from the U.S. who has only been here a couple months, so she doesn't know how to do anything. Mm, so yeah. then you're like, ooh, I am skilled. Things that come so naturally to you, yeah, and then you're, like, trying to help her, yeah. It was an interesting learning experience for me to learn what I had relearned. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing some of your experiences, <laughs> but before we do that... How are you, man? What is up? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I have spent the last um, week and a half recovering from my throat surgery to um, <laughs> make me sound extra sexy and um, throw everyone back in the U.S. when I go home for Christmas for a loop. Yeah, I think it worked. So I'm definitely planning to catch a man with this voice. Oh, I, I bet you will. That is what the doctor told me. <laughs> I'll say that and then somebody super creepy from my childhood will try and slide into our DMs. Hey, listeners, hit us up. Dude, take a <laughs> joke. Anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, I have a cold. I'm so sorry for the sound quality. Um, I'm sorry to whoever is editing this because they're yep, going to have to yep, edit out yep, a lot of yep, me coughing. Yep. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> but it's fine. You guys will get the nice, clean, polished version of me sounding like a man (laughs) (laughs) with no coughing for context (laughs) we've been wanting for so long to have a man as a guest on the podcast so i think this might be as close as we've gotten (laughs) (laughs) success (laughs) anyway yeah so i've been on survey i've been on field work for our language research job if you guys don't know we are linguists we work with minority language communities conducting research in nepal Anyway, so that means that a lot of times we go out on field work to different areas within the country. That's where I have been for the last month. And that was the longest field work that I have ever been on. Every single one is so different. And a lot of times then they'll be, you know, about two weeks long or so. But this one was a full straight month. So it was pretty intense, but it was really good. Um, Unfortunately, my body does not necessarily think that field work is as good as my brain thinks it is. <laughs> oh, no. So I tend to get sick as soon as I get back. And this is what happened with this one. We got to our, our last day. We had finished our last interviews. And I was like, "Ooh, what's that little tickle in my throat? <laughs> oh, no. So, it's amazing, like, how connected your psyche and your body are, you know? Yeah. Like, if you're in a stressful situation and you are under pressure and like you don't have time to get sick it's like somehow your body's able to push it off it's incredible it's amazing i don't it draws on some <laughs> kind of like reserves or whatever yeah. and then it knows the minute you're done and it's like yes, yes our oh, time has come <laughs> the worst though i hate getting sick i don't get sick that often in katmandu mm-hmm. yeah so it's really annoying yeah it's frustrating anyway i want to tell you though about a specific story and dear listeners, you get to hear it as big as hearing it, too, because I was like, I really want to tell you about this, but I'm going to save it for the podcast. So I'm so excited and also in suspense a little bit. I know. It's like built up too much now. It won't be funny. It's been too long since it happened. <laughs> okay. So let me set the scene. So this was in our last research site. We had already been there for two days, and it was really difficult to get interviews. We have to have a certain number of subjects to fill our interviews. And we were also doing intelligibility testing between dialects of this language. And um, a lot of times the villages are pretty small and the populations are small, and you can't interview people within the same family. So you have to ask a lot of people to do all of these interviews. Um, And so we were having a lot of problems and we had such few left, but we couldn't find anybody to fill them. And so we're just kind of like roaming around, going back and forth and back and (laughs) forth. And everyone's like, 
you know, on the road. They're like, what are you do still doing here? Is your work done yet? We're like, no. They're like, how many people do you have left to interview? You know, they're like all rooting for us at this point. <laughs> You're like, we need a woman age 25 yeah, exactly. to 40. Do you know someone? Have you crossed age 40? Yes. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> That's like a lot of your conversations, you know, just like yelling at someone in the field. They're like, what? <laughs> Forty cross bicycle. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Um, and so it was uh, maybe 7 or 7.30 at night, like way past the time for food, too. Mm-hmm. And it's dark and there's been this festival thing all day long. And so we've heard that there's a lot of people that have been at the festival. Our guide in this village says, well, we'll go to this lady's house. Let's call her Ermila. We went to Ermila's house because Ermila is coming back from the festival. And so we're all like waiting. There's five of us. We're all waiting <laughs> on our little stools out in the courtyard of her house. And her parents, who are like grandparent kind of ages, are like so sweet. And they're like giving us warm cups of buffalo milk to drink. And mm. um, and finally, Ermila comes and she's been having fun with her friends all day long and then suddenly she comes back in the dead of night and there's all of these foreigners just glowing in the dark waiting <laughs> waiting for her and um and so she agrees to do an interview and so me and one other our our um intern our new person stayed behind and then the rest of our people all went to another home to get another interview and so you know it's going really well i end up I'm like trying to drink this buffalo milk and I'm also like trying to write in the interview book and it's kind of getting ridiculous. So I put the buffalo milk on the ground and then um, I kind of like scoot my stool so that it's closer to her. Right. And so I end up being half under the eaves of the house and half kind of in the courtyard and um, and she's completely under the eaves. And so we're going really well. And then suddenly at the maybe question 35 or something that's asking like when you're in your own home chatting with your husband what language do you usually use and then everything is thrown into complete confusion (laughs) everyone is like pulling at me there's yelling and i'm like i don't understand what's going on i'm trying to focus so hard and like writing this in nepali and about that same time then i realized that there's something like Water is falling on the right side of my body, like on my down coat sleeve and kind of on like onto the ground. I'm like, what's happening? And then suddenly I realize, oh, I don't think this is water from like how much they're trying to pull me under the eaves of the house. I'm like, I don't understand what's happening. And so they completely pull me over. And as I stand up, I knock over my cup of buffalo milk and all of these feral cats come from everywhere to like drink this buffalo milk and everyone is yelling and I look back and our intern is like dying with laughter (laughs) and then um, the lady who I'm interviewing says oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry it's because he's small ah no I just got peed on didn't I (laughs) I got peed on from the American second story balcony of their house by my interviewee's like four year old little son. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just standing at the balcony, like, <laughs> yes. peeing off the side. <gasps> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Cause there was like tin, tin roofing, right? And so he like <laughs> just peed through 
the like railing of the balcony and then it would just roll down right <laughs> so then, it's just complete disarray and she's like the mom is like yelling at him like what are you doing why would you do that couldn't you see that there was people down here <laughs> and i'm like like so focused on getting this very last interview that I have to do for the entire survey, you know, so I'm just like, ah, I don't know, like, how much should I make it a not a big deal that their son just peed on me and like, make sure that I haven't like, you know, they haven't offended me. I'm not mad. I'll let them, you know, like towel me off a little bit. And, you know, and is it worse to like, to just stop the interview now? and like go and wash my hands and stuff or should I just like continue on but then are they gonna think I'm gross because I'm continuing on when it's pee <laughs> but you like don't want to lose your chance to finish the interview yeah I'm like what if she leaves yeah. you know like I'm gonna lose momentum oh my and so I just like let them yeah dry me off with a towel and then I was like okay shall we go ahead <laughs> i was i mean i was like dying laughing it was absolutely ridiculous oh and our intern gosh. sat in the courtyard who you know she could see the whole thing like saw <laughs> saw me like freaking out and then looked up and like oh okay that's why so she laughed for like 10 minutes straight while i finished the rest <laughs> of the interview thank you thanks for your support <laughs> and then um it was also horrible because like when he had peed then it like some got on my arm but like a lot of it had gone onto the ground and then splashed into the mud which then splashed onto my skirt and my interview book as well <laughs> at so, least it was like the end of your trip oh my like, gosh yes what if you was like the first day and you're just like cool yeah. i'm just like pee for five weeks now and one of our colleagues too like once the interview was done then we went back over and i was just kind of trying to keep a straight face because she was also doing an interview <laughs> and she was like oh i'm about to do an interview um can i use your interview book and i was like no, you cannot. Because <laughs> I just spent the last 15 minutes like carefully writing my answers around this pee mud. Like, <laughs> no, you don't want to do that, sweetie. Like, I promise you. <laughs> oh, man, that's amazing. So, oh, so yep, that was a first for me. Wow. It was kind of amazing. A plus. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You got anything to top that? I feel like anything I have to say after that is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Anything you got. Yeah. Well, I think you'll laugh at how mundane this thing is that I'm going to talk about. And maybe that in itself will be funny. <laughs> so I am currently in the Los Angeles suburbs right now at my parents' house. And we had a very exciting weather event. <laughs> It rained a lot, and then there was some <laughs> snow on the hills. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I know, but actually, it was really amazing because so on Thanksgiving Day, which is like the heaviest driving day of the year, it was raining and hailing, so Oof. it was terrifying. We that drove to San Diego. I thought we were going to die oh several times. <laughs> like yeah, trying to keep my adrenaline down in the back seat. That's my dad's driving his not high quality car <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> <laughs> but we made it and then it was like pretty cold for here like in the i don't know 40s which what is that in celsius like five eight close to zero yeah <laughs> maybe four anyway but um usually this time of year it does get that cold but we also don't get rain this time of year very often yeah, right. so then the few days after that 
the air was insanely clear for LA. Like, Ooh. LA air usually isn't clear. Even if the smog levels are low, it's not always about pollution. There's other things in the air that just make it look not that clear. But because of the rain and the cold, it was super duper clear. Wow. And there was snow down to like 2,000 feet, hmm. which is the lowest that my mom says she's ever remembered it being. And she's lived here for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that especially, but just generally, for some reason, this time being back in this area for me has been really fun to really remember how close our mountains are. Where yeah. There's a little tiny mountain range. I know Polly's would call them hills. They have plants on them. Uh, up to almost the top, but that runs east-west, that's north of L.A., Uh, and our town is butted up right against the hills. So they're just like very imposing, very, every time you drive north, you see them really starkly. And just to see them with all of the snow on them was incredible. And I was driving, if any of you know L.A., I was driving north on the 57 freeway, and there's this place where you come over a hill, and then you go down a big hill. And so right as you get over the hill, you just see this panoramic of the San Gabriel Valley with all the mountains behind it, Mm. and they all were covered in snow. And it was amazing and unique and also i miss nepal and i love mountains so much (laughs) it is nice i mean i really have been missing nepal like the last couple months i think my original plan was to be back in the states for seven months and then i extended it to nine months for various reasons and at about the seven month mark i started getting so sad and missing nepal so much (laughs) past me was right seven months was the right amount of time so has it been seven? You're in the seventh month right now, right? I left Nepal at the end of April, so it's been almost eight months. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. And you're not yeah. getting back till the end of February? Probably mid-February, yeah. Good, because I get back to Nepal at the end of January. Perfect. Not so long. Reunite and it shall be glorious. Yes, uh, I really want to come hang out with you in America. Ugh, I wish you could. I don't have time anymore. I wanted to come for like longer. I know. A longer visit, like a six week visit. Mm -hmm. But I don't have time. Yeah. I have to print out my reports and do distribution and start a new project. Yeah. Womp womp. Well, someday we'll both be in the States again at the same time and we can. Yeah. I don't know. Do something well, awesome. Very old and gray. I'll take or... you ice skating in LA. <laughs> Dude, I've never been ice skating. You haven't? Oh my god! I've never been ice skating <gasps> ever. You know, you and I were going to go ice skating in Cambodia and then the, the thing <laughs> yes. was closed. It was closed. Well, you know, you can go ice skating on plastic in Cambodia. Yep, I would bust my face. <laughs> I feel like at that point you should just rollerblade. Like, why? Yes. <laughs> why would they on the ice rink. Like, it shouldn't be an ice rink. It should just be they a They should just convert rink. it into a roller rink. Yep, much better. Yeah. That's hilarious. All right, all that being said, should we talk about all the things that we learned that we relearned? Oh, yeah. Learn, relearn, learn, learn, relearn, relearn. We have a very beautiful list going on, so I'm kind of excited about this. Here is one of the first things that I thought of that we have talked about, but I think can stand to be talked about again, and it is wearing clothes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like not only is it about different fashion sense in different cultures, because that feels like a very expected thing, right? Like, you know, or 
I don't know, maybe you don't know this. I know from living in different cities in the U.S. that there are different expectations. Like, I had a whole wardrobe when I lived in Portland that was considered cute, and people would compliment me on my outfits. <laughs> and when I would visit L.A., I always felt like I had not an appropriate thing to wear for even going to Target. Like, I just, you know, people just wear different styles of clothes, right? But the thing I want to talk about when I moved to Nepal was learning how to layer appropriately for different temperatures. Oh, and that is yes. so hard. <laughs> yes, it is. Like in the hot season, so like April, May, and then through kind of some, like what we would consider summer in the States, Northern Hemisphere summer. It's, you know, it's hot. You want to wear clothes that are cool and that if you get wet from monsoon or sweating, will dry quickly, whatever. That's not that hard. But winter... It's so hard <laughs> mm -hmm. because it's like cold inside the house also. So you can't just wear like one layer and then only think about how many more clothes you need if you're going to go outside because then you're also cold inside. But then sometimes you go outside and it's sunny and then it's actually warmer than it was inside. Yep. And then so warm. If you're not moving, you need like so many clothes. But then if you get on your bicycle and go up a hill to your language class, then you're like sweating profusely and you're taking <laughs> off all these layers. And it's just not intuitive. <laughs> and that's my story. Yeah, actually, when I because when we left on this previous survey, then it was just the beginning of the cold season in Kathmandu. And so like I hadn't gotten out all of my scarves and like all of my layers and stuff. And, and so when I got back home, then I was like, first of all, I've been wearing the same clothes, like the same three outfits for the last month. And I don't remember what clothes I own anyway. <laughs> and so, but then I was just kind of cold for a few days. I'm like, I don't know how to dress. I don't know how to keep warm at night. How many layers do I usually have? Do I have another blanket other than my down comforter? Like, what's happening? Yeah. But then you can also get cocky too, because like we kind of get used to like, oh, well, I'm just going to the office. You know, maybe I'll cycle there, but like it's not long enough that. I'm going to actually get hot on the way. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to wear these hideous layers because I can't find clothes that really look good together right now. But it'll be fine because I'm just going to have my coat on all day long. And what you can see looks fine. <laughs> but then that's what I thought yesterday. And then I got to the office and we have a new gas heater. Oh. And our office is not very big. And so within like 30 minutes... I was starting to sweat in my coat, oh, no. and so I had to take off my coat. And then what and you then had, I had this horrendous, horrendous, like, I had two tones of khaki happening <laughs> and different patterns happening. And anyway, it really hurt, hurt my heart to be able to show people that, but... <sighs> I know. Well, and it's so, I feel like, I mean, this is the general theme for everything that we're talking about this episode, but it's just embarrassing to not know how to do things that every other adult around you knows how to do yeah. you know like these are not things that we're saying like oh my god nepal is so weird or nepal is so hard to deal with like no 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 everyone else is fine yeah it's just the nature of being an expat is you didn't learn these things as a child and so now as an adult you look like a child and you're the fool <laughs> yep exactly so this is us telling you guys how foolish we constantly are <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> The next thing I want to talk about is that you have to learn how to drink things again. <laughs> I don't mean 
like your potent potables. I'm just talking like <laughs> basic tea. How to use a cup. You need to learn how to <laughs> drink again. I think we've talked about this maybe. We probably have. Yeah. We've definitely posted about it on Instagram. It's a really important skill though mm-hmm. that people do not necessarily know. Like the the gal who was with us on the survey, I was like, so do you know how to drink chia in this cup? <laughs> and she was like, no, I was kind of wondering. <laughs> Like, can you imagine having that conversation? Yeah. At least she admitted it, though, right? At least she wasn't like, of course I know how to drink tea. Why are yeah, you asking right, right, me? Right, right. And then being like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, my gosh. This is unrelated. I mean, this is not Nepali, but uh, I'm reading this book about a tribal culture in South America. And the way that they ask you, like, to give you an out is they ask, like, oh, like, say they made, they cook some fish and they're like, do you know how to eat this fish? And then if you don't want to eat it, you can just say, oh, sorry, I don't know how. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's amazing. I know. I love that, that would be hard to learn. <laughs> um, yeah. So talking about drinking chia, which is Nepali version of tea, a lot of time, especially like in the village uh, you'll get served chia in a cup that doesn't have a handle. And so it's not necessarily like a mug without a handle. It's just a regular cup. <laughs> so Right. It's either glass or sometimes it's metal and then it gets really yeah. hot. Yeah. But they always serve it to you with like about a finger's width. Um, yep. Not filled to the brim. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does to me, but I know what you're saying. So. <laughs> Rather than like grabbing it just around the middle like you would normally if you were drinking something cool, you have to just use your thumb and your um, pointer finger. Forefinger. <laughs> oh, no, I've forgotten yes. everything. You have to use your thumb <laughs> and your pointer finger to pick it up and then drink it, like tip it where it's not going to burn your fingers when it comes into contact yeah. with that part of the metal. I feel like a lot of times what I've seen uh, Westerners do instinctively is they they do that with the thumb and the forefinger, but they use both hands oh. so that you can just like keep your hands pointed at each other and tip up. But that is not the Nepali no. way. You got to do it with one hand and then you like kind of turn your hand sideways. So the little claw that your forefinger and your thumb is making is pointed toward your chest. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That way. Perfect explanation. Podcasting is a really good exercise in describing things (laughs) without aid of visuals. (laughs) I'm going to be really good at like the game taboo or something after this. (laughs) But yeah, it's a major skill that you better develop sooner rather than later. Another thing you have to learn how to do is waterfall drink if you haven't already learned that, which is like if you're drinking water out of a bottle, you pour it into your mouth without the bottle touching your mouth. This was a skill that I already had when I moved to Nepal, but some of my friends came to visit and they didn't know how to do that. And they were like pouring the water on their face. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I still do that sometimes if I open a new bottle, like a liter (laughs) bottle of water. That's true, because you squeeze your squeeze yeah. it when you're trying to hold it, and then it squishes out everywhere. That's true. Yeah, when I moved here, I actually got like a liter and put it next to the sink for when I was brushing my teeth, because I would use clean water. And then I would practice um, pouring it into my mouth without touching it, so that I wouldn't make oh, a fool amazing. of myself when I was hanging out with the polys. <laughs> that's really smart. Uh, another thing you have to relearn is how to bathe. <laughs> 
And the fact that you have to learn to call it bathing, too, is really important. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not necessarily specifically showering. There's a lot of different ways you can clean your body and or hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the when the weather's warmer, I usually just take a normal shower. I mean, I'll take like a quick shower or if it's like dry season, I might do a navy shower where you turn the water off while you're like putting the soap on and then you turn it back on, you know. But I feel like in the winter... When it's dry season and you don't have a lot of water available to you, and the water you do have is not very warm, <laughs> there's a lot of different strategies to deal with that situation. <laughs> they can't hear you nodding, White. <laughs> Just trying not to cough, it's fine. <laughs> yes, that is very true. Like, you can do the old head under the tap mm-hmm, method. Mm-hmm. You could do it very separately so that you can do a body shower and let your body dry and then do a head under the tap so you don't have your whole body wet at the same time. naked. (laughs) There's also the boil water, mix it with cold water for the right temperature in a bucket, and then use something to scoop that water onto your hair and or body. Oh, man. I mean, I did that my first year that I lived here and it was really terrible. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. It gives you just enough hope that it's going to be warm, but not enough to actually get your body warm. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. But yeah, if you're from a affluent place or just in general a place with an abundance of water, you're probably not used to having to wait for water to warm up or to warm water up yourself or to try to save the water that you're rinsing yourself with for other things. We waste a lot of water in our home countries, I think. Yes, we do. But every single house situation in Kathmandu is so different. So like you don't exactly know what to expect until you're living there. That's so Like some places, yeah, really don't have good water. They have to get trucks brought in, you know, or something like that. And so then you like really have to save water. Like all of your shower water goes into your toilet and your washing machine water goes into your toilet. And Mm -hmm. I mean... Everything apparently just goes into your toilet because that's <laughs> our highest priority apparently with how I'm setting it up. But And then, of course, you have to go out into the sun to let your hair dry. That's the most important part of bathing. You're right. It's true. You want to bathe in the middle of the day. <laughs> yes. And then the last important thing about bathing is that you need to ask everyone else if they've bathed. Like if you think that they've bathed, you get to ask them about it. It's like, oh, your hair looks clean. Have you bathed? <laughs> yep. Do Nepalis do that? Or is that just a Westerner, like expat thing? Oh, no. I mean, I definitely got asked that by our shared language good. teacher. <laughs> she knew. She's like, you look incredible and you smell good. <laughs> but it's like totally socially acceptable. Like, you know, when we're in the village and you're like, oh, I need to wash my hair today. And that's like part of your work day. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And and that's totally okay. They're like, you know, maybe your guide comes and they're like, oh, hey, can we like go over to these people's houses? And you're like, yes, definitely. I really want to do that. But I really need to wash my hair first. And they're like, oh, yes, wash your hair in the middle of the day. <laughs> that's obviously the most important thing. That is our priority at this moment. <laughs> oh, the other one we didn't talk about, other bathing style is when you're in the village and you have to have someone else pump for you so you can wash your hair. Oh, yeah. Or you try to pump and then quickly get your head under the pump. Yes. Or if there's no water at the moment and they have to just put a pitcher 
into a tanky for you and mm. pour it over your head. Yeah. I had that happen. Oh, nice. <laughs> I've had so many people wash my hair for me <laughs> over the last three years. Like, high roller. <laughs> okay, let's see. What else do you have to relearn when you move to a new culture, specifically in Nepal? Um, how to cook. That took me several years, I feel like. And now I'm a really boring cook in the U.S., I realized. <laughs> Used to just having fewer ingredients. Yeah, right. But, I mean, you do adjust. I think what happens often is you have kind of like your standard things that you like to cook. And usually that's part of that is based on what ingredients are easy to get where you live, mm -hmm. right? And then you move to Nepal, and a lot of those ingredients are not easy to get anymore. But there's different new ingredients that are easy to get. So at first, I don't know if you went through this uh, process, but I feel like at first I tried to cook my staple things I was used to cooking. And then I was constantly having to make substitutions, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't buy that ingredient, so I'll put this in instead. Or this doesn't work, so I'll do this instead. But then eventually I just stopped making things that needed substitutions. <laughs> I just yeah. only cook things with what's available. And, you know, like that changes with seasons, obviously, seasonal vegetables and fruits and stuff. I but. think even like having to learn the seasons is something that's pretty difficult. And like in America, we don't really do because like... Um, in Portland, people do that. All my oh, friends yeah. in Portland have charts on their refrigerator of, like, local vegetables and what time of year they're available. And I really respect that, <laughs> but I don't know if that's representative of, like, the rest of America on the other side of America. I, I guess my only experiences are California, where we grow all the produce in the country, and so we <laughs> always have everything. In yeah. Portland, where people try to eat locally. I just thought it was like cold weather places don't have strawberries in December. <laughs> but like my thought of, you know, an American grocery store is like, maybe something is more expensive. Like, you know, you might not be able to find cheap particularly delicious strawberries but if you but had to make there. a recipe for with them uh, in it then they're still there they're still available yeah i guess you're right i guess so i wonder if that's true in other like in european countries or like you know australia new zealand that's a like, good question i don't know is that just like a, a south asia thing or is that like a i don't know i don't know live in the mountains thing <laughs> although we are getting i don't know there's always more and more things that are becoming available because nepal has a really good i mean so many different climates right within it and so yeah a lot of things can grow i mean i remember it surprising me when i first moved to nepal like there weren't a lot of berries but nepal has great climate for berries in certain areas yeah and there aren't a lot of like tropical fruits even though nepal has a big tropical area like you know yeah so yeah it's kind of curious that that wasn't the case yeah. but it seems to be changing now so that's exciting maybe in like 10 years we'll be able to buy blackberries that don't <gasps> cost 16 dollars <sighs> for 200 grams the dream that's ah, a dream <laughs> that's what i eat when i leave nepal i just eat Ooh, berries me too i'm like and basically stone fruit like peaches plums yes mm -hmm. yeah when i was in the uk this summer i was basically like a black bear coming out of hibernation because <laughs> i would just i ate berries every single day oh for the month gosh. that i was there and it was amazing that sounds incredible <laughs> <laughs> um oh okay Something, one of the first things that I had to learn, no, that's not probably true, but one of the very memorable things that I had to relearn when I moved here was which animals and which insects are dangerous. Because, <laughs> really? like, 
I'm from Arkansas, and Arkansas has a lot of dangerous things. If you're from <laughs> Arkansas and you don't think that's true, talk to someone who is from a different state. You will find out that it is very true. Like we have, you know, all of these poisonous spiders that if they bite you, they'll make your flesh rot off. Sorry oh, for gosh. that visual. All of these snakes that are ready to bite you on land, on water, in trees, etc., <laughs> in your basement. Etc. Um, so yeah, and like I'm not from a family who is like particularly scared of these things. I'm from the country. Like sometimes you had to kill poisonous snakes that were trying to get in your front door, stuff like that. But you know, like the things that you should be afraid of and things that you don't need to be afraid of. But here, I don't have that same kind of instinct. So mm -hmm. like when I first moved here, my maid opened one of our living room windows. And a wasp nest was like in between the glass part and the screen part. Mm -hmm. And so when she opened it, then it flew in and it stung her. Mm -hmm. And um, and it was like a small kind of black wasp. And like in Arkansas, we have red wasp and hornets. And I've gotten stung by red wasp in the face. And it's absolutely complete misery. Um, But like these little black wasps, you know, they look kind of like, I don't know not very scary and so i was like oh no that really stinks does it hurt and she's like yeah it really hurts and i'm like oh <laughs> so sad so i like got her a little like poultice thing to put on it and stuff but i like wasn't particularly worried about it and then i was talking to somebody another expat who's lived here for like 30 years and um and he was like oh yeah those can be really dangerous people die from those wasps <laughs> and i was like what? Oh so he he actually went and sprayed all of the wasps so that they um all died. Wow. But then after he said that, then I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to trust myself anymore. And I like called my maid and was like, are you okay? Yeah, like <laughs> that's so scary. You're still living. <laughs> But yeah, so now I'm like, and the same with snakes here. Right. You know, yeah, you don't know which ones are like, dangerous. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, I don't know what to look for anymore. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. What to do? Hope I don't die. I really hope you don't too. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bad way to go, wouldn't it? It sure would. Yeah. Be like, yeah, I didn't like die in some adventurous, like, <laughs> whitewater rafting into a village with my interview book in my hand. <laughs> I died from a wasp sting in my living room. <laughs> <Woo -hoo. laughs> anyway, what else we got? What else do you have to relearn? Well, I feel like there's so many things we could say. Uh, here's one that kind of since we're trying to do sort of a New Year's theme-ish, we're stretching it, but it's working. Um <laughs> is how you spend your time and how you expect to be productive and what that looks like. Yes, that's a really good one. It's kind of weird for us because we work in, I mean, the majority of our coworkers in our office are also not Nepalis, right? So there is sort of a sense of more of like a Western work expectations and, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, we do still live in Nepal, so we have to like balance what a Nepali work day looks like and what life in Nepal like requires of you, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, one major thing is I'm just far less ambitious with the number of things I'm going to check off my to-do list <laughs> in a day. <laughs> and like, I think at first I thought that was bad. Like I was like, oh, I am not as good of a worker living here. I'm not as productive. I'm not as efficient, whatever. But you know what? It's fine. 
And I spend more time connecting with people and talking to people. And maybe it takes me longer to run errands in Nepal than it would in the U.S. or somewhere else or to do certain types of work. But I feel like there's a positive trade-off of Mm -hmm. life is more relaxed and you have a lot more conversations and you engage with people a lot more. And it's actually really nice. And side bonus, I think that has really helped me being in the States this year because I'm in a very weird situation of like being on home assignment or whatever they call it. Part of your assignment is to rest. And let me tell you, I am so bad at that. (laughs) After like a day and a half, I'm like, well, I'm bored. And my body's like, well, you're too tired to do anything. I'm like, but I, but, but, but. (laughs) But what do I not do then? Yeah. Having lived in a less time-oriented culture and less efficiency-oriented culture has really helped me like be okay with not being productive. Yeah. That's good. I mean, it's still hard for me, but... (laughs) It has helped a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely more relationship oriented here, which I really, really like. Even like within our expat culture, it's more relationship oriented. So like mm-hmm. I have more of a more of a focus on like, yes, all of my work is really important and I do all of my work every day, most of the day. <laughs> but I'm also not going to like put that ahead of, you know, spending time with someone because you know that other expats are not going to be there forever. So you have to put a really high value on relationships. Mm. So I just feel really precious. So yeah, it's true. Your f- entire focus just doesn't have to change, but maybe it should change once you're here. Yeah. Okay. Maybe this should be our last one, but I really want to find out what your thoughts are on this because you wrote this on the list. <laughs> you have to relearn which facial expressions are appropriate? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about this on survey. Tell me. And I'm talking specifically about when, let's see, what. let me think of an example situation. It's kind of, it's like a mix of shock, but also like, well, what can you do? You can't do anything about this situation, and I'm going to have good humor about it. Like, ooh, What a bummer. That's crazy. Yeah. And in that situation, when you look at somebody that you're talking to, then you can kind of like raise your eyebrows and then you stick your tongue out. But like you don't like stick your tongue out like you're a four year old being like, meh. You like (laughs) just stick your tongue out like not that far out of your mouth and then you kind of bite it. (laughs) It's true. You know what? That's really funny because I I feel like I noticed myself doing that in Nepal and I don't ever remember learning it and every time I would do it I would think oh no is this weird yeah but I must have just like naturally imbibed that from seeing other people do it (laughs) yes that's really funny yeah I do it all the time and I really love it and I don't really think that we have quite an equivalent because it's just kind of a different philosophy of life in general the like Oh, K-Garnet, like, mm-hmm. what can you do kind mm-hmm. of lifestyle? Like, sympathetic, but you can't think. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> can you think of any other examples? Are there any, like, facial expressions that are okay in American culture that aren't okay in Nepali culture? Um, hmm. I've noticed sometimes I'll wink at people, and it's not, <laughs> I don't think it's bad. They just, like, are confused. <laughs> They're like, why? <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm not sure about like 
Yeah, the like, if it wouldn't be okay in a polyculture, but some like another, I don't entirely know if this counts as a facial expression, but in Nepal, then you use like, you wouldn't, you don't really point with your fingers like we would in the States or in the West. Right, that's true. So you point with either like your chin, you point towards whatever you're pointing at, or you point with your lips and your chin. Right. Like you point, like your lips like go way out, like (laughs) Yeah, if you're not used to that, it might be a little bit surprising. (laughs) And actually, I'm so sorry to our, to our sweet American friend who is new here and who I'm like using as a scapegoat for all of these things (laughs) that you don't know when you come here. But um, that's another thing where it's like, we start picking that up too when you're on survey because you don't want to be culturally inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And so then I like start pointing with my, with my chin and my lips and, and like it took her a while to catch on mm-hmm. to that, like not just with us, but with the Nepalis who were doing it too, because everybody does it all the time. Yeah. And she was like, what? I don't understand. <laughs> well, actually, I think maybe I've mentioned this before, but I have noticed that I do a lot more nonverbal communication since living in Nepal. Yes. And sometimes people don't pick up on my cues. <laughs> you know, yes, like I'll just so. raise my eyebrows at something. Or if I want someone to move, I just stand next to them. And then <laughs> they're like, why are you standing by me? And I'm like, oh, isn't it clear what I'm communicating? <laughs> so funny. It's so good. And then you've got your, like, you know, your finger motions that are different for Nepali. Like, mm-hmm. you've got, you stick out your, like, you're, like, you're going to do the the loser on your forehead, you know? <laughs> you stick out those fingers and just kind of, like, shake them once, like, a swift movement towards your face. A little scoop. And that's kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That can also be K Garne. Yeah, what right. Do? It's like a... <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then you've got like you can stick out your pinky and kind of wiggle it, and that means that you have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else? I'm sure there are many, many I'm good sure, ones. Yeah, yeah, things that we don't even realize that we've learned, probably, but... or things that we haven't learned that we probably should have <laughs> by now. Yep. <laughs> oh man, Nepalis, tell us, tell us the rest of these things. Show us the way. Yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was a, just a short list of many, many things that we had to relearn. But <laughs> maybe we should each make a New Year's resolution to learn, like, another new adult oh, Nepali thing. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Yeah. I really want to learn. This is – you're going to laugh. I feel like this is – I can't believe I don't have this skill in my life. But I'm not very good at making fires, and I really want to learn how to make a good fire. <laughs> that's a really good skill. Yeah. I like that goal. What about you? What's yours going to be? My skill should be, I'm not prepared for this. No pressure. Uh, All the pressure. I want to learn to ride a motorbike. That's one of my major goals. Yeah. I can drive a scooter, but, you know, you don't need any kind of skills to drive a scooter. (laughs) So, (laughs) Well, I have a motorbike. I will help you with that. Okay. Cool. I like these goals. It's good. You guys can keep us accountable. Yes, please. All right. Well, shall we move on to our segment? Yep. Let's move on to the segment. Okay, you guys. Uh, this is funny. So I, this week, I started reading this book, and I'm really enjoying it. And so I was thinking that we could talk about it on the podcast. And then today, I went to look at our topic for the podcast, and I saw that White had already put information about this exact thing 
on our list of things to talk about. <laughs> oh, well, that worked out well. So I'm reading this book. It is called Don't Sleep, There Are Snakes. And uh, full disclosure, I'm only halfway through the book, but it is the kind of like memoirs of a guy who worked as a linguist, um, doing kind of similar work to us, but he only worked with one language. So he worked in the jungles in the Amazon in Brazil. Mm. And he and his family lived in this really small village and worked with this really small, unique, unknown language called Pitaha. And it turned out that it is a super crazy, interesting, wild, different language and culture that basically disproved the Chomskyan idea of a universal grammar. <laughs> oh, snap. Yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, in the book, he talks about like their experiences living there in the village and stuff, but then he also uses that to explain a lot of things about the language and the culture. And I'm just finding it so fascinating. He's a really good writer. But uh, I wrote down this quote. He says, when you can't find something, but you expect it to be there, you can ma- waste months looking for something that doesn't exist. Ooh. And that's exactly what he did. So he goes into this area with his family and he's a, a really good linguist and he starts working really hard in this language that other people have had a lot of trouble with. Like they just haven't been able to figure it out very well. And he realizes this language like just doesn't have any of the things that we normally expect a language to have. Oh my God. It has no color words, no number words. Whoa. No comparative words like all, most, none, some, no words like that. They don't have the main thing that made it uh, disprove the universal grammar idea that has been developed is they don't have recursion in their grammar (laughs) so you basically can't you can express just as complex of ideas but you can't have a super complex sentence Hmm. so you just have to express it using more words and more sentences Mm -hmm. there's no referential thing so like i could say by the time you arrive tomorrow i will have already eaten they can't say that Hmm. there's no way of having an event in the sentence happen that's relative to another event in the sentence. Whoa. Yeah. So what would you say instead? Do you know? Um, I don't have a good example of like how you would do recursion, but yeah. here's examples of how they would express something where they don't have comparatives. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's the sentence talking about how they ate most of the fish. And literally the way they say it is, my bigness, which is we, they don't have My plurals, bigness. so it's like everyone in the village. <sighs> cool. My bigness ate a bigness of fish. Nevertheless, there was a smallness we did not eat. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's how they say most. Wow, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? But here's the thing that's really interesting. So I'm just getting to this part in the book of where he's starting to like kind of put all the pieces together of like all these crazy things about their language. And they only have three kinship terms. Wow. <laughs> oh. They have older person, they have on your level, so like brother, sister kind of thing. And then, oh, I guess there are four, (laughs) son and daughter. Wow. That's it. So what his like theory is that he starts to realize is everything about them, like not just their language, but their culture too, is so in the moment. Yeah. So they do have stuff in their language that we don't have in English, like evidentiality, which means you have to say how you know something while you're saying it. Mm -hmm. So you have to clarify like, oh, I saw this happen or someone told me that this happened, right? 
and that's it. Like they don't have, they don't tell stories about anything that happened far enough back that no one is alive to remember it. Oh, they don't have any myths, like fictional stories. Everything they talk about is something that actually happened to someone that they know <laughs> or that happened to them. Um, they see dreams as kind of like a different version of reality. Like it's not fiction. It's just another layer or whatever. <laughs> and so they have some religion, like they have spirits and stuff, but it's still all like very evidence-based. Like we actually saw the spirit, whatever. Mm. And so in their language, that's what happens too. Like everything that they talk about is based on this moment and what's going on. So they don't talk about the far past or the far future. They don't need things that compare or colors or numbers because those are kind of abstractions of concepts that you're experiencing. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Oh, and here's uh, one final super interesting thing about this language. Are you ready? It has for phonemes. So not actual number of sounds that they use, but like conceptually, which sounds people think of as different that are like contrastive. Three vowels. What? eight consonants <gasps> and two tones oh my gosh and two tones so their words are super long because that's the only way you can make it different from another word that's crazy it's only a couple of vowels take that chomsky yeah sucker bring it <laughs> you should have seen this coming <laughs> yeah, this one random group <laughs> in the amazon that's completely different from everyone else ever they also don't like no one's been able to prove that it's related to another language wow i mean basically they assume at some point it evolved from some other language but no no one can find a connection yeah so. And they don't have any f kind of folk tales to even, like, give you any kind of, like, potential history. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, it's super interesting. If you guys want to read the book, it's called Don't Sleep, There Are Snakes by Daniel L. Everett. That sounds like Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> sure does. Maybe there's some deep connection there. Arkansas, Amazon, <laughs> same, same. Anyway, that's awesome. I'm going to read that book. If the second half of the book is terrible, don't blame me. Yeah. <laughs> I've only read the first half. I so. oh, love it. Okay, well, I think I'm really tired of recording and we should <laughs> <laughs> Do we have anything to tell the people? We hope. Well, I want to thank all of you guys for sticking with us. Mm -hmm. I know that we've had a super um, unrecognizable and non-existent posting schedule. Yeah. So thank you for continuing to listen. Big will be back in a couple months, and I will also be back to Nepal in a month. So we will still be friends in Nepal, and we will be able to get back to our super amazing, technically sound recording studio that is my bed <laughs> with the windows shut. <laughs> soon. It will happen soon. That's right. So just bear with us, you guys. Um Enjoy your holiday celebrations, whatever that includes. Enjoy your New Year's celebration. Don't party too hard. <laughs> Don't do anything we wouldn't do. Don't do anything we wouldn't do twice. <laughs> Ooh. Bada bing. That's good. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys are amazing. Yeah. Uh, just a reminder, we do have a Patreon, and we really appreciate the folks that support this podcast. You can check that out. Um, just Google 
big white podcast Patreon or something. I don't know how to find our own website. Whatever. Yeah, we love Christmas gifts and we really love mm. Patreon themed mm. Christmas gifts. So think yes. about that. Finger gun, finger gun. <laughs> Oh, man. Except this episode's going to come out on, like, New Year's, so maybe New Year's gifts. <laughs> New Year's gifts. Yay. If you want to contribute to my medical fund for my failing health after every single <laughs> survey, maybe donate some money to Patreon so I can buy some cough drops, you know, tea, <laughs> things like that. Just consider it. That's right. If you don't want to listen to this voice multiple <laughs> times in the new or year. Or maybe they do. If you do want to listen to this voice, also give us money and we'll use it to buy cigarettes instead. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> Okay, I like this plan. Be sure to indicate what it's for. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you guys are the best. Yep. Keep following us on Instagram, sending us those messages. We love hearing from you guys. And we will talk to you in 2020. Woohoo. Well, we never said bye. Oh. Just going to hang up. <gasps> just just going to. Okay, I'm well, just... I know. I know. Let's say goodbye to the last decade, the teens. Oh, We're man. now going into the 20s. Are you ready? It's going to be a long goodbye. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, bye. Bye, teens. It's been real. Bye. Bye. We're bye. So, I'm moving on. So happy for it's a been... fresh start. Yep. Yeah. I, I really want this the 20s to be the roaring 20s again. Oh, my bye. gosh. Yeah. Maybe not bye. roaring, but okay. maybe like. Okay. Okay. I don't know. Something less aggressive. Fabulous. We don't have okay. an energy for roaring and okay. aggressing anymore. Okay. Okay. 2020. Hi. 2019. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 I've had so many people wash my hair for me over the last three years. Like <laughs> that just makes me a brick on nine nine. You know, um, what's his name? The weird guy. He says the most romantic thing you can do for a woman is wash her hair. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> no. Boil, boil. <laughs> boil. Uh, so good. You have had a lot of She's romantic experiences, apparently, right? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't know they were romantic. <laughs>